this morning. Good. Glad to have you here today. Looks like our group is down a little bit, but it often fills in uh, as time goes on in the morning. I trust that you have come here today with a heart that is hungry for truth and also a heart that is desirous to worship and give praise and honor and glory to our God. Uh, if you would take just a moment and get your bulletin out, just a few things here to bring to your attention. We've been introducing a new hymn each month, and so that'll be introduced by our worship team, I think, this morning. I trust that'll be a blessing to each of us. On mission meal today, uh, following our service, uh, it takes place, the serving is over in 104, right across, go out the back doors, and then the tables are set up in the welcome center. We would encourage you to stay and enjoy a time. It's tacos today which is always a lot of fun, so uh, please uh, join us if you're able to do so. Ladies, there's a special event taking place on Thursday the 19th. Uh, make note of that, and uh, then if you are in care group two, if you're not real sure what care group you are in, there are lists on the back table. You can pick those up. Make sure you uh, know which group you're in so you can be praying diligently and uh, regularly for those in your care group. But Care Group 2 has a picnic coming up. You can see the details there in your bulletin. If you know of anyone who is graduating, we like to honor our graduates each year. That will take place on Sunday, June the 12th, so please get that information to Lee. All right, as we turn our attention now to worshiping God, one of the things that's so critical is the preparation of our own heart as we do so, we have a time right at the very beginning that we call prayer of confession and the gospel assurance of pardon. Let me read a passage of scripture to you that I trust will encourage your heart, challenge your heart, and just something for your heart to lay hold of as we think about the gospel truth. Paul speaking to Timothy in Paul's very last letter in the New Testament he tells Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. It is critical that we would never shy away from our identity in Christ, that we have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We are his children. We bear his name. We are his, and that we should never be ashamed, but rather share in the sufferings for the gospel. We do so not of our own power, he says, but by the power of God. And then he speaks about what God has done for us. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Let your heart Settle on those truths, take them to your soul, allow them to bring you to a place of assurance and worship before our God today.
ask you to stand with me if you would please Listen to the words of Psalm 111 and allow them to call us to worship our God. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy, for they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever.
good morning, Randolph Street family. For our confession of faith this morning, we turn to the Baptist Catechism, question number 25. This particular question and answer is crucial to our faith, our understanding of God and his eternal purpose in Christ. The question is, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? Father, this is the Lord's day that you have created and designed and purposed for your people to gather. Here in this space, we join our hearts and our mouths, lifting up one voice, singing praises to you, our God, who deserves all worship, all adoration, unending praise in heaven and on earth you are due the glory of your holy holy name so around the world on this lord today and around your throne may praises worthy of you our god be lifted up in every heart here this morning at Randolph Street. May our hearts be pure, may our hands be clean. As our praise ascends to your holy presence today. Father, we pray for Randolph Street this morning asking you to do a good, holy work in us today through your Spirit. As the Word is proclaimed in song and through the preaching of your Word, through the reading of your Word at these tables, O Spirit of God, would you shape and form more of Christ in us today? Especially those among us who are suffering, who are walking through difficulties and trials and what the scriptures call tribulations. Would your, would your loving, kind, and gracious presence be known and sensed by your people here today, especially those who are struggling? May we be swept up into your love for us in Christ in unusual and powerful ways this morning as the gospel is proclaimed. O oh God, do that work in our hearts. So bless your people now, Father, as we gather. Here, those joining us online, members who are unable to be present due to a variety of circumstances. Oh God, bless your people today as we give praise to your holy name. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you would. I once was lost in darkest night 
attention to the reading of God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. A reading from the first epistle of Peter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What gift of grace is Jesus my
They do have an information sheet. They'll have some with them today. You can, if you're visiting with them later, you can uh, get that from them. There are also several copies on the back table that will give you some further explanation than they're going to give us this morning, uh, but it'll also just good reminders for them. Well, this is Cody Ham, son of Russ and Jen, and uh, Mallory, I see, is here today. Ham family came just about the same time that Becky and I came. I remember you all came about that time. I saw him play football for the Herbert Hoover Huskies and uh, he enjoyed that very much. He and Savannah have been married for how long now? Nine months? Okay. <laughs> There's always that awkward moment. Okay, I'm doing the math in my mind here. But it's a joy to have both of you with us here today. I have just a few questions that we would like for you to share, and then we'll take some time and pray for you in just a moment. Uh, this is information, again, a lot of this is on the, the uh, handout that you gave to us. Always awkward up here trying to figure out where to stand and so on. Normally, people move to the back as they talk, so don't do that. You stay right up here. We'll be at the back wall before this is finished. So, uh, But share with us how God kind of placed the burden of your going forth to the unreached people groups. I'll hand the mic to you and you can do with it whatever uh, so for me specifically I um, <clears throat> went to school at Marshall and got really involved in crew and 
was planning on going on my first summer mission, and um, I was planning on going to California because I have family out there, so I was just like, okay, that'll work out. I can do this mission, then I can go visit family. Um, but then my discipler was telling me one day about her fiancé who was in East Asia doing missions and just spoke about, like, the reason as to why he went out there. And it was for the reason of just it being unreached and how the people out there did not know the name of Jesus or, like, had never known or had access to uh, the gospel. And right away, I was just like, okay, like, I will go there. Like, I will apply, and if the Lord allows me, I will go there. And um, since then, God has just continued to grow my desire to go to the unreached, and I was able to go to East Asia and do ministry there, and um, from there, it's just been growing. Um, so most of you may remember me. I was a kind of a quiet, angry guy. Um, we met with Jason a few months ago about um, our desire to do missions, and the first thing he said to me was, when I got a phone call about Cody Ham, I thought it would be to preach his funeral, not to do missions, so... Um, praise God that we're here. Um, I had a pretty radical transformation um, in my salvation story, and um, just a a molding of things between um, the church that we go to, the the um, excessive desire that they have for missions, along with um, my brother, who has been extremely influential in my um, life and walk with Christ um, have just really tried to preach missions to us and I know that um, unreached missions is um, the least the, the greatest need with the uh, least amount of individuals it's less than 3% of all missionaries um, go to unreached nations um, and they have the least funding and it's the most difficult and dangerous and so that's um, all those things together just made me think that that's where we needed to be. Going to an unreached people group is a, a very, very difficult task. It's different than going to a place that already has something established, uh, and so it's very important. I see you're going to Radius International, and tell us a little bit about that, if you would, please. Uh, so Radius International is a school specifically for um, people who want to be missionaries, but missionaries for unreached people groups. There is going to be a training that we go through um, that'll teach us how to be the most effective whenever we go overseas um, to be able to share the gospel with those unreached people groups. Tell us a little bit about how long your time there at Radius International, that's what they're raising support for right now is to be able to go there uh, give themselves entirely to this process. Tell us just a little bit about some of the things that you will be doing there, some of the things that you'll be training, and then how long does that last? Um, so Radius is approximately a 10-month um, intensive program, so we will be um, traveling down to Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, we leave in August, and we will be there until June of um, 2023. Um, so it's a it's approximately 10 months. Um, while we're down there, um, some of the major focuses that Radius has are uh, cultural assimilation, language acquisition, and then just knowing your Bible well and being able to share it well. Um, so as far as language goes, 
we will learn um, a little bit of Spanish naturally while we're uh, in Mexico, but they really focus on teaching you how to learn language. And so we'll be doing things like phonetics and phonomics and all of those um, language tricks um, to be able to learn um, the language of our given people group whenever we um, receive them. Uh, they, and then as far as cultural acquisition, there's um, in-class learning as well as the fact that they do the training in Mexico for a reason. They send us out into the culture and um, have us assimilate into that culture. Um, and then they focus deeply on um, hermeneutics and ecclesiology and all the, all the ways that um, we hold in high regard as to study the scripture and be able to share the gospel well and clearly. If you can simply imagine what it would be like to move into a people that maybe have never seen a white person, certainly not interacted a great deal with anyone that would look like uh, Savannah and Cody, to try to gain their friendship, to gain their trust, the amount of time. Uh, I know we are supporting some missionaries with reaching and teaching, and they think of this as a 20-year process, being able to go in and, as you said, assimilate into the culture there, to be able to know the people. Then many times people you go into, they do not have a written language, and so you kind of have to teach them somewhat how to read and how to be able to communicate those things. So it's a long process. When I think about praying for people that are moving into this, I pray for perseverance and endurance because that would be a very, very difficult thing, I'm sure. And so uh, we certainly want to be able to pray for you in doing that. And you say it's down in Tijuana, Mexico. begins in August. They need, again, to raise support, so you'd be in prayer for that. Beyond just the obvious that we've stated, are there any things personally that we can pray for you as a church family, uh, just whatever you might have? Um, yeah, absolutely. We, um, for one, we just want to pray that, or we would uh, like your prayer that we would just uh, stay focused um, and um, feel the weight and severity of what we're doing, of what we believe wholeheartedly that God has called us to do, um, that we would um, be steadfast, um, that we would love each other well and be able to love others well in turn um, and just focus on our personal relationships and growth in Christ. All right. Let's take a moment and pray for them. I hope that you, as you hear this today, as you read their report, uh, will really ask God to give you a burden to pray for them regularly, faithfully, uh, that God would use them and strengthen them. So just take a moment and pray. Our Father, as we stand in your presence today, as we sing songs about Christ, what he has done, we speak about the inheritance of the nations, we think about a people being called from every tongue and tribe and nation to gather around the throne someday. And so, Lord, recognizing those things, we thank you for your call upon Cody and Savannah's life, for you placing in their heart a burden to be able to go, and then the courage, the ability to trust you in the going. I pray, Lord, that you might raise up this support for them, Lord, that you would indeed direct their steps.
Radius International. We thank you for that ministry, for their influence on so many young people uh, to be able to take the gospel, take the word of Christ into these places where they have never heard, never heard of Jesus, let alone never received a full understanding of the gospel. And so we pray, Lord, that you would direct their path as to an unreached people group. We pray, Lord, that you would, as Cody said, help them to love one another well, help them to care well for their own souls as they walk this path. And Lord, that they would encourage and strengthen one another, raise up a team that they might be able to go with, help them to develop relationships there at Radius International over the months that they are there that might be lifelong relationships and taking the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would plant deep, deep in their soul just the truth of the song we just sang, yet not I, but Christ through me. Lord, they would know the strength of the gospel. They would know the strength and the power of your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, your steadfastness. And Lord, through that, be able to do that which you call them to do. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you this day. We know that you are well aware of who they are. They are yours. But, God, we lift them up to you, recognizing that it will be through you that this will be accomplished. In Christ's name and for his glory, amen. This morning, for our special music, we will introduce a song that we will sing next week with our congregation. So please listen as we sing. Oh Christ, what burdens of thy head our Lord was laid on thee Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead Oh, 
Thank you, Randy and worship team, for introducing that to us this morning. You'll see a little note about that in your bulletin. That song is full, I mean, just chock full of rich, rich theology for us, the church. Uh, I would go back and rehearse that in your heart and mind. I would learn it. Uh, we're going to sing it three Sundays in a row beginning next week and try to put it into the hearts and minds of our people here at Randolph Street and trust the Lord to do a good work through that. Uh, Cody and Savannah, thank you for not only being with us today, but for sharing. Cody's right. When, when I met the Ham family, Luke and Evan and Mallory were always so kind to me. Uh, even Russ, Jen was always, but even Russ was kind to me. Uh, but Cody, I, I don't know. There is just something about that young man. He was... He looked angry to me all the time. Like, I didn't even want to talk to him. And this past January, his brother pulled me aside at the cross conference, and I had heard some things. His dad had shared some things with me in uh, December, January, whenever cross was, and, and shared with me just the radical transformation of Cody and his heart before Christ. And when I met with him in Savannah a few months ago, I was sitting there. I, I, didn't, I didn't believe him for a little while. I just kept looking at him. And just to see the grace of God in him and Savannah. Uh, we're going to partner with them financially through our scholarship fund uh, that we have set up through our academy. Um, so we'll be partnering with them to support them monthly while they're at Radius. I'll be spending some time with some of the Radius leaders this coming week uh, at a little retreat. Uh, all the funds we raise for our meal this morning um, will go to their support likewise. And so we'll probably create some other avenues in the coming weeks and months uh, to put before you what the Lord is doing uh, through Cody and Savannah. Well, today is sermon number 11 in our Doctrine Matters series. Uh, we began this series in October of 2022. And it feels like we have preached more than 11 sermons in this particular series, but I am, I'm really committed to this series, to, to marry it with our consecutive exposition through the book of Acts. I'm really committed to this series of keeping before you as a church good doctrine, good theology, right thoughts about God, right thoughts about yourself, right understanding about the gospel, right understanding about the person of Christ, to keep this series in front of our church, keep it lively and helpful to you to think rightly about subjects of the Bible, which is what the Doctrine Matter series is all about. Today, our focus is the doctrine of adoption. It has been eight years since this particular truth was preached from the pulpit here at Randolph Street, October of 2014, when we were making our way through the Romans series. We're going to be going back to Romans this morning. This is a part of the application of redemption. This is the benefits, if you will, of Christ's death for us, that we are now declared children of God, those who are sinners, are brought into this familial relationship with the holy and righteous judge of the earth. That's the doctrine of adoption. We're, we're going we're to step deeper into that in just a moment. 
It's important that you and I have a right view of God. We, we, we speak of that often here. We would have a full picture of God, a right understanding of God. In our Reformed-ish type world, our view of God has, often has what we might say as kind of hard edges around it, if you will. Here's what I mean by that. We, we focus often, and rightly so, on the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God. We, we, we elevate those truths because we believe the Scriptures speak highly of those realities of God, and that can, by themselves, create, if you will, kind of a, a hard edge about God. Today, we're going to speak into that with this understanding of God that he is our loving Father. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's just. But to have a full understanding of God, this, this truth steps into that. He is our loving, merciful, eternal Father. This quote is one of the best paragraphs ever written by a non-inspired author. Did that pique your interest? Here it is. Actually, put it on the screen, maybe. J.R. Packer in Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. To those who are Christ, the Holy God is a loving father. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. Packer began that quote with this. If you want to judge how well a Christian understands Christianity, find out about how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. And I think Packer says that because if you understand that truth, means you understand the fullness of what Christ has purchased for you. And we're going we're to step into that this morning. So Bible's open to Romans chapter 8. This is, it seems to be our chapter of late, isn't it? Romans chapter 8. We're going to focus in on just a few short verses in this book that speak to this doctrine of adoption. Romans chapter 8. 
Here's your outline as you're turning in your Bible this morning. First, let me, let me say this. We're going we're gonna to jump midstream into an argument. We don't do that often around here, and I'm just going to leave it to you to go back and get context later. So we're going we're gonna to parachute in right into the middle of a paragraph in verse 15 through 17. Here's your outline. We're going to see a contrast that, that Paul's developing in this lengthy, sustained argument. The contrast is built around these two statements. You did not receive, but you have received. So he's going to build a contrast here, something we did not receive, but something we did receive. And then out of that, we're going to look at two aspects of adoption found in the end of verse 15, moving all the way through verse 17. Finally, we're going to see just two quick reflections before we walk to these tables. So with your Bibles open, Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Let me add the first verse of the next paragraph. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul sets up a contrast here, verse number 15. He sets it up with, with two phrases we mentioned here. Speaking to us readers, here's what you did not receive. Here's what you received. So it's easy to see as we move into this particular argument, there's some misunderstanding. There's, there's some questioning rising up in the hearts of Christians here in Rome. And Paul wants to be pointed, and he wants to be explicit here. He was, you did not receive this, but you did receive this. The idea of receiving here, I think, is Paul calling our attention as readers back even to our conversion. Right, what we experienced at our conversion through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. I mean, if you linger back to verse number 9 in Romans 8, Paul makes it clear all who belong to him have the indwelling of the Spirit. And this Spirit, back down to our text, verse number 15, that we received from God is not a spirit of slavery. So in verse 15, Paul is reminding the Romans what God has done in them. And his point here is plain and clear, and we might even say it's rather pointed what Paul is saying here. The spirit that they had received at conversion does not lead to slavery, which ultimately leads to fear. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Let your eyes linger back up to verse number 2 of Romans 8. The law of the spirit of life. Here, here's the tone that Paul set forth. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
So it says in the spirit of slavery that's been given to us at conversion, we are no longer, this is, this is an argument that Paul has been sustaining here, we are no longer dead in our sins. We are no longer slaves of sin, Romans 6. And the spirit that now dwells in us does not leave us in slavery, which is back to verse number 15. The spirit does not leave us in slavery. Leaving us in slavery would bring forth fear as we consider the judgment at the final day. So let me go back and read verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So Christian, he's speaking to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's speaking to you. This is not what God did. He did not give you a spirit that leaves you in your bondage, which then produces in you this fear of that lingering day of judgment that is before you. That is not what God did. That might be how you're living, but that is not what God did. Look at the contrast. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So this is what we have received, that conversion. The spirit now who works in us and dwells in us, not bringing forth slavery and fear, but he's brought forth, this is what the spirit does, this is the benefits of the work of Christ, the application of redemption for you theology students, he has brought forth adoption. You see the contrast in imagery here? You were a slave. That brought forth fear, and rightfully so, because the judgment of God is upon those who are slaves to sin. But that's not what the Spirit of God did in you. He brought forth adoption as sons or daughters. You see the contrast there? This is a right thinking about the gospel. And what God has done for us in Christ, he doesn't leave you lingering as slaves. This spirit who is dwelling you, he has set you free, and you are free from fear of future judgment. Why? Because this spirit has brought you into this adopted condition before God. You see, there is assurance. We, we spent time in this room. We, we had such a good time in this room last Sunday night with a group of men, maybe 25-plus men, thinking through the doctrine of assurance. And this is, this is exactly what is happening in this text. He's putting out to you, the listener, the reader, exactly what God has done. Because what he wants to ra raise up in your heart is not fear about a future day of judgment, but confidence and assurance of who you are. You are a child of God. Now, I'm going to camp there for a few moments since this is the doctrine of adoption sermon. And I want to work through what he's speaking of here when he speaks of this idea of adoption. Let me just set out a definition for you. I've, I've already hit it in a couple of ways, but let me set out a clear definition for you when we think about the doctrine of adoption. 
in the doctrine of adoption, we are declared sons or daughters of God. Okay, so there's, there's a declaration made and treated as sons or daughters of God. You hear the distinction there? We are declared to be sons of God, daughters of God, and we are treated as children of God. So there is this positional reality because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We now stand before God, this holy, just, just-filled God. We stand before him as sons and daughters. Positional realities happened at the cross and the effects of the cross for us. That's who we are. But it's not that just we are declared as sons and daughters of God. We are then treated as children of God. Listen, there's a massive distinction between those two things. God doesn't stand off far from us and make a declaration only. He does that in Christ. But there's more than that. He treats us now as sons and daughters of his. So the the first major section of Romans dealt with the doctrine of justification. That's coming in our Doctrine Matters series. It probably should have preceded this sermon. If you remember our talk about justification, I just got it on a couple of weeks ago and we talked about the sinlessness of Christ. In justification, God takes our guilt and our condemnation that we have rightly earned and he lays it on his only begotten eternal son and he takes the obedience of a son which he rightly fulfilled and he lays it on the center so in the doctrine of justification which has been a major focus of paul in the book of romans there is a legal declaration that occurs, this courtroom idea, this legal feel, if you will. We are forgiven, we are pronounced in Christ, we are pronounced forgiven, and we are pronounced righteous. The judge never descends from the bench in justification. It is a legal pronouncement. You are just You are righteous, and you are forgiven in Christ. J.I. Packer writes, justification, I love this language, justification then clears the way for adoption. And in adoption, God comes to the sinner, and he embraces the sinner as his father. The sinner is full of shame and guilt, but the father, out of love, we're going to hit that in a moment, the father, out of love, comes to the sinner in this particular doctrine, and he brings him into his family. So in justification, we are declared right by God, And in adoption, we are brought into a familial relationship with God. So to come back to that courtroom legal imagery, here we have the holy judge of the earth from a distance declaring the sinner righteous justification, 
But now, in adoption, he descends from his righteous and holy bench, and he steps toward the sinner, who is the enemy, and he receives the sinner into his family. And it's more than that. He receives the sinner into his family, and he gives him the full rights as if it's his own child. It's, it's really scandalous. Thomas Watson, if there's ever anything Thomas Watson writes, read it, except for his thoughts about baptism. He writes this. For God to have pardoned his enemies had been much. Justification. I mean, you, you get to the doctrine of justification, you stand back and you say, oh my. Wow. Then Watson says, but to adopt them for his heirs, it sets the angels in heaven wondering. I don't know if angels, I, I, I don't know anything about angels. We don't know much in the Bible about angels. I don't know if an angel, I, 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 we know they worship, we know they sing. I think they have shock at the holiness of God. How could they not? I would imagine as the angels looked up on God and what he was doing in Christ and could see the fact that God was declaring the sinner righteous is one thing. But for them to look up on the Father and see him bring these sinners into his family, that's a whole nother thing. Watson said it sent the angels in heaven wondering. This was his plan all along. Lest you think it was just an idea that popped in his head. I left off the first two words of this verse. They're actually the first last two words of the previous verse. They're important words. In love, in love he predestined us for adoption, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's so many important words in that little phrase, through Jesus Christ. This is the eternal purpose of God for you if you're a Christian. It was always his plan to adopt you, to declare you his child, and to treat you that way. Notice that next little phrase, according to the purpose of his will. It's, it's not out of you and what you have merited or earned before God. We've, we've already established that most babies are born not cute, right? That was a sermon from a few months ago. God did not look up on you and say, ah, Desire him or her to be my son or my daughter because of their in love. God predestined you for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was his good eternal pleasure 
to put you into this position before him as a child of God. And know what it leads to. We love this text here at Randolph Street. What's it lead to? What's adoption lead to? To the praise of his glorious grace. Let your understanding of adoption today end in amazement and praise to your great God, to lift up your voices to God. That's, that's what these truths should do to our hearts. They should commend in us praise and worship of God. Adoption is grounded in the gracious, eternal purpose of God. Thomas Watson, again, about adoption says, adoption is a mercy spun out of the bowels of free grace. All by nature are strangers, therefore they have no rights to sonship. It's out of the bowels of free grace we can be declared sons and daughters of God. I mentioned a moment ago the importance of those two words I left off, in love. Well, 1 John 3, 1, this is why they are important. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It's overwhelming. I mean, John's wanting you to step back, reader, and just cast your eyes up on this truth, understand this truth, and step away from that and say, what a great love the Father has shown to me. The, the undeserving, guilty, condemned sinner now he calls me and he treats me as his son, as his daughter. The only response to that is, what a great love. Let's step a little deeper into this truth. Look at verse 15. Let your eyes linger back to Romans 8. There's two aspects of the adoption that Paul is going to focus on in this particular text. First is the relational aspect, verses 15 and 16, end of verse 15. Go back and we'll read that. It says, the spirit of adoption, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So let's work through this a little bit. This is the relational aspect of the doctrine of adoption. Through the work of the Spirit, we're adopted. But likewise, through the work of the Spirit, we cry into verse number 15, Abba, Father. So the Spirit in this text is not only seen as the agent of our adoption, which is really crucial, but the Spirit is also seen as working in us to assure us of our adoption. He's provoking us, if you will, toward this relationship. So the Spirit doesn't just bring forth our adoption and leave us. He is still at work in us in this particular text and produces in us this cry, Abba, Father. This is the convincing, confirming ministry of the Spirit in our lives. If you're a Christian, you know this. Now listen, I'm not saying you walk on this cloud all the time. But if you are genuinely a child of God, this aspect of the Spirit of God is true in you. He convinces us of our status before God. 
He makes us aware, if you will, of our adoption, this new relationship we have with God as our Father. Look down at verse number 16 again. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I mean, this is what the Spirit preaches to our hearts and our souls. We're children of God. This is the mystical work of the Spirit. It's unexplainable, but again, if you are a child of God, you know what this means because you have at times, hopefully consistently, experienced this reality. The Spirit of God is in you, He is present, and He is active, and a part of His work is to confirm and assure within your doubting heart that you are a child of God. For me, it often happens here on Sunday mornings. I mean, even just a moment ago, listening to our worship team sing that truth, that song, that, that hymn that we are going to learn together these next three weeks, because that hymn just kept taking my attention and putting it on Christ over and over. This is what Christ has done. This is, and man, you're talking about some graphic language in that hymn. This is what Christ has done. This is what Christ has done. This is what Christ has done. And then a few times in that hymn, it'll speak to what he's not done or what he has done for me in light of what Christ has done. And even as the worship team is singing that hymn this morning and reminding me of the gospel, the Spirit does His work. He reminds me, He assures me that because of that truth, I'm a child of God. Notice back down to verse number 15. He brings forth in us this cry of Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term that simply means father. It's placed alongside here the Greek word for father. And it, it brings out this idea, Abba, that there is an intimate connection and relationship between the son or the daughter and the father. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very intimate kind of language, Abba. And this is the work that the Spirit does in our hearts. Bringing forth in the believer this childlike trust and love for God. It's, it's unexplainable, this work of the Spirit. That's why I used the term mystical a few moments ago. It's unexplainable, this work of the Spirit, that in the midst of trials and tribulations... And I've watched this as a pastor. Tim has watched this as a pastor. In the midst of trials and tribulations, it's in those moments that we cry out to God, this God of whom we have never seen. This childlike trust and dependency just flows out of our hearts and our mouths. Brothers and sisters, that's a work of the Spirit. He's working in you and bringing out this childlike trust, Abba, Father. It's interesting that Paul, in this particular text, leaves this Aramaic term in here. He's writing to largely, mostly Gentile audience. There had been a schism in the church at Rome, and it was a predominantly Gentile audience, but he leaves this Aramaic term in this particular text. Some suggest that the reason Paul leaves this Aramaic term in this text because they want, Paul wants to draw our minds as readers back to Jesus. 
I just preached this on Good Friday. Jesus in the garden. Matthew chapter 14, Abba, Father, is his expression. This, this intimate term that Jesus uses about God as his Father, and now the author here in Romans chapter 8, maybe, is drawing our minds back to that. Doug Moo picks up on this, and here's what he says. In crying out, Abba, Father, the believer acknowledges a status comparable to that of Jesus himself. Paul shows that Christians have a relationship to God that is like, right, not exactly like, but is like Christ's own relationship to the Father. In adopting us, God has taken, I love this little phrase from Mu, in adopting us, God has taken no half measures. We have been made full members of the family and partakers of all of the privileges that belong to members of his family. But there's this relational aspect, right? You are a son or you are a daughter of God. And the work of the Spirit in you is to draw you to your Father, to express trust and love for your Father, knowing he is treating you as he treats his own son. The other aspect is there's a legal aspect here. Look at verse 17. And if children, the logical conclusion now is this. Your heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. There's no half measures here, as Moo would say. As adopted children, you are brought into full heirship. I mean, look back at the phrase, if children, just an understood reality, then heirs. The, the act of God adopting you, this eternal plan of God in adopting you, brings forth a guaranteed inheritance of the child. And this is a legal reality. The adopted child is given all the rights and privileges of being a full son or daughter of God. Now, there is a little phrase in verse 17. It's a little troubling if you look at the end. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. I mean, this is kind of the reality of our lives, right? That Paul is setting into this. And I think what he's saying, in the midst of your suffering, and there will be suffering, because that's, that's the reality of living in a fallen world, in a, in a fallen body. But I think Paul here is holding up your, your heirship, your adopted status and reality, and saying to you, look, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's come back to verse 17 for a moment. The beginning of verse 17. What's it mean to be an heir of God? Well, it's explained to us right here in the text. It means you're a joint heir with Christ. So to understand our inheritance, we need to first understand Christ's inheritance. Colin Cruz would say to be co-heirs with Christ means that those who share the inheritance that God gives to Christ. So as those who are united to Christ... We share in his inheritance. Only he earned it through his full obedience to the Father 
but we share in that inheritance. And I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this idea, but we have to ask the question, what will Christ inherit? Well, Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Go back to verse number 18 in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings, this is why I read that a few moments ago. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, there it is, he's connecting all this together for us now. The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Because we're adopted, because of our heirship, are the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to what is going to be revealed. This sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians. I went back this morning and scanned through all the, f- the funeral sermons I've preached here at Randolph Street over the last, what will soon be 15 years. I can't tell you how many times I used this text in funeral services here. We do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For in this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I don't think Paul is belittling your affliction here by calling it light and momentary. But I think when he brings over your affliction the glory that is to be revealed to you, Because you are sons and daughters of God and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, when he brings that over you and presses it into your life, what he wants you to see about your affliction is this. It is light and it is momentary. It is brief. It'll pass. Why? Because you're a child of God. And what is in store for you is eternal pleasures as joint heirs with Christ. There is a legal element to this. You have in Christ right now, if you're a believer, and I want to be clear here, if you're a believer, you have in Christ right now an eternal inheritance. It's yours. It is yours in Christ. Two quick reflections before we come to the table. This, the first one is to turn back to what I said at the very beginning. I, I want us to make sure we have a healthy view of God here. And the, the gospel is what we need to have a right view of God. To see that he is our father And he has an everlasting love for us through Christ. A love that was purposed before creation and a love that calls us as a father, it calls us to lean into him, knowing that he is our father. Just want a healthy, healthy view of God. He is not standoffish with us. 
That's me. I'm like that. We went to, together for the gospel and set up a little booth for Hope for Appalachian together for the gospel, and there were 12,000 people there. And I tried my best not to talk to anybody all week. I just, I get that way in those kinds of things, and I had to get out of that quickly. That's not your Father in heaven. He loves you with an everlasting love. Lean into Him. Don't run. Don't hide. Cast your cares and your burdens upon Him. Brothers and sisters, your Father loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When you get the end of Romans chapter 8, what is the glorious truth that everything is rushing toward in Romans chapter 8? Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let the gospel serve us well to understand and know God as our Father. Number two. Not only do I want us to have a right view of God, but I want us to have a right view of ourselves in Christ. So this was kind of the purpose last Sunday evening when we talked about the doctrine of assurance here with, with some of our gods. Now, the reality is all of us at times wrestle with assurance, or at least we wrestle with doubt, especially in the midst of suffering. That's just, that's just reality. That's common. This is common experience of all of us here. We wrestle with doubt. We wrestle with assurance. We wrestle with confidence, especially in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulations. This truth, the doctrine of adoption, is whispering to our hearts this morning and reminding us through the work of the Spirit that God is our Father and we are His children. And we need to think rightly about ourselves in light of that gospel truth. So when I'm suffering and when I'm struggling, I know that I have a father who cares for me and is working into me more and more the image of Christ. Why? Because I am his son. I will never be more of a son or less of a son to this father. He loves me with an eternal love in Christ. And I want my soul to rest there. I want to think rightly about myself because of what Christ has accomplished. Spurgeon would say this, Sonship is a thing which all infirmities of our flesh and all sins in which, to, in which we are hurried by temptation can never violate or weaken. Let me read that again. Sonship is a thing in which all infirmities of our flesh and all sins into which we are hurried by temptation can never violate or weaken. I am a son of God. And if you're a believer here this morning, breathe that gospel air in deeply for yourself this morning and let it fill your weary souls. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And the people of God reply, amen. Elders, would you come this morning and prepare our tables, please? A challenge for you in a moment. We'll begin inviting you to come to the tables to receive the elements. Please hold them, return to your seats. We'll partake together in just a few moments as Pastor Tim leads us. But maybe a small challenge for you as you walk to these tables is affirm this gospel truth in your heart. He is your father and you are his son or his daughter. And just let your soul revel in that truth. Just revel in that truth. As you are reminded at these tables that the reason you are his son or daughter is because of what Christ has accomplished. If you're not a believer in Christ, these tables are not for you this morning. Uh, Don't hear that in a spirit of awkwardness. But simply hear that as this is for those who are followers of Jesus. We're praying for you, that God would do a work of grace in your heart and bring you to Christ so that you can receive these wonderful truths. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless these elements as we prepare to partake. Father, again, we appeal to you this morning to do a good, good work in us. As we partake of these elements, bread and cup, let us be reminded of what Christ has purchased for us. In particular today, Father, would you press into our hearts that he has purchased for us this glorious reality of adoption, that we would be called sons and daughters of you, our God. May that truth Set well in our hearts this morning as we partake together. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Deacon Juke begin dismissing.
say that was rich, rich truth would be a gross understatement. What, what an impact that should have in our hearts and souls just to think about that. There was a passage of scripture that just kept running through my mind over and over again thinking about the table today. To think that our Father loves us, that we are brought into his family, such a critical element in his heart for his people. Jesus, shortly before he would go to the cross to provide his body and his blood for us, lifted his eyes before his father and prayed to him prior to going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's often referred to as the high priestly prayer. In the context of that prayer, he prays that we might know the unity our union with Christ, that we might be one with him. But listen what else he prays. It's found in verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me, now listen to this, and that you love them, us, his children, his believers, that you love them even as you love me. Sometimes we think of airship in the sense of heaven and, and the, the material things, but it goes so far beyond that, that we share the love from the Father that he has for his own son. That, that is, that's amazing, and that comes from the prayer of Christ. He wants us to know that. Might that move our hearts as we move into the table today? Apostle Paul, as he gave forth this ordinance, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray Father, our hearts have been overwhelmed by the truth of your word this day. It has been overwhelmed by your love and your care for us. The extent to which you have given us eternal salvation, that we are yours forever, that we have that assurance through what Jesus Christ has done, has paid for, has secured for us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit and even more that we have been adopted eternally into your family that we have that blessed privilege of saying Amen
his eternal glory. Amen. Please stand and sing. That's a good truth for us to end the doctrine of adoption. Our thinking about God's love for us in Christ, to sing those words, to solidify those truths into our hearts and minds this morning. We do have a dinner, okay? Uh, All funds raised will go to support uh, the Hams as they go to Radius International and uh, prepare for missions among the unreached and Uh, We look forward to supporting them, not only in this effort, but through our scholarship funds and other efforts, Lord willing, in the days to come. So hang around, enjoy a meal together, uh, build relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that maybe you don't know very well here at Randolph Street. So before we go uh, and enjoy the food together, let us recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 